Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung. I should try and, like, actually play the xylophone. I mean, I should actually try to come up with some kind of tune, right? I'll practice. I will practice this week, and I will come up with a tune, and you guys can hear it next week. That'll be my little present for you all. How's that? Folks, uh, how was your week? My week was okay. I went to, um, I think I told you I went to a, a memorial last Sunday, and uh, I was still kind of emotionally exhausted from that, but I, I also took it really easy, you know? I just went to the beach a few times. Oh, uh, on Saturday, there was a meteor shower. I guess it happens um, like once once in a while. So anyway, I drove up to the one of the highest peaks in Malibu, uh, which is Sandstone Peak. And I went up there to see stars. So I drove out there, got there around 9 o'clock, because that is like the peak hour when the shooting stars are like mostly visible. And I parked my car like on a hill and turned off all the lights and it was super dark. But despite the darkness, like this is how you know that... Um, light really does affect people greatly like you know the light pollution is really a real thing um, even though it was pitch black way up high in the mountains the city lights were still really bright like you could just see it it's like the atmosphere is just light it's it's very very visible and so um yeah like it, that was distracting it's it's amazing how um you know that kind of light does affect our ability to see stars really well. Um, so despite that distraction, I was still able to see a lot of stars uh, that evening and it was really breathtakingly beautiful. And um, I also remember like as soon as I parked my car and I turned around, I saw a shooting star like immediately. And it was like the biggest shooting star I saw all night. I think I saw like four that were very clearly visible. I'm sure there were more, but I just couldn't see them as well because it was a meteor shower, right? Like there was like like a bunch of them happening all at once, but I saw four. And the first one I saw was huge. It was really big and it just like, like shot right, you know, it, it, I was just like standing, like just facing, I wasn't even looking up. I was just facing forward and it just like shot across the horizon. It was gorgeous. And yeah, I just like hung out there meditating, staring at the sky, you know, wondering things about life, making wishes, blah, blah, blah. It was it was really great. So if you guys, uh, you know, have the time this summer, go up deep into the mountains somewhere, turn off all the lights and stare up at the sky. I strongly encourage you to do this. Uh, I've done this in the desert, absolutely. The desert is like one of the best places to look at stars. So if you happen to live near a desert, go find a place and park your car there and stare up at the sky. But be safe about it, you know? Like I, I got bitten by mosquitoes a bunch of times while I was out there and I didn't even see it until the next day. And they itch like hell. And they're blistering and they're bleeding. So other than that, I mean, what else? I also hung out with uh, Teruko Nakajima and her dog Titi. We went to the beach and it was so nice just like seeing her dog run around the sand and enjoy the ocean. Like, you know, like this dog hasn't seen the ocean 
like he, like she's only seen the ocean once before you know and this is like this was her second time seeing the ocean and just like seeing her like running around in the sand and peeing and going to the bathroom like you know Teruko was like oh that's the first time she's peed outside I was like are you fucking kidding me like she's a dog <laughs> what do you mean you know like apparently um TT can't go to the bathroom like she's very like bathroom shy so she has to be comfortable and safe and she only does it in the house but she felt at home at the beach so she she went pee pee and she took a big shit and I was really proud of her I was like good for you good for you TT yes this is what it's about um and the waves were really crazy and uh it was nice I, I liked it, and I think I'm going to go to the beach again this coming week because it's going to hit like 107 degrees in the valley on Wednesday, so I plan on going to the beach. Folks, I don't know, like, you know, the, the shows these days, like, I was just like, what am I going to watch next? And then miraculously, on Saturday, this amazing new rom-com drops. Like, I can't even remember the title, but Han is in it. She's playing a veterinarian who, like, touches you know, animal and people's asses, and she could see, she could see their past experiences, she could see into their memory. Amazing, amazing premise, first of all. It's so wacky and crazy. Uh, Han Jimin is, she's got excellent comedic timing, she's great for a romantic comedy, so I'm, I'm so happy that she's on this show. Great, uh, great casting, excellent casting, and I'm super entertained. So if you're, if you're watching this show on Netflix, I mean, look forward to the coverage, because I am looking forward to those episodes every single week, okay? So this will probably be the next show that I cover, alright? Of course, I have to cover DP Season 2 as well, and that's coming soon, but, uh, yeah, check out this romantic comedy, it's like behind the something. I, I can't remember the title, but it's basically, it's Han Jimin, and she touches animal asses, she touches people's asses, and she could see into their past memories. It's amazing! Alright, so let's get into this show, Anna. I was promoting the shit out of it on my Instagram. Again, I'm not, like, sponsored to do this. I just love the show, and I was just astounded that I missed the show. That I didn't see this show. Like, I remember seeing Pesuji's face on the on the little placard, right? Like, the advertisement. Or, you know, it just, like, comes up. It's like, you know, Amazon Prime. It's like, oh, this is a show you might like. I'm like, fuck you. Like, who says I might like Pesuji? I don't like Pesuji, okay? Like, I'm not a fan of, you know, her, her you know, musical talents and stylings. Like, I'm not, I'm not of that K-pop uh, era. So, she's not my girl. But... The reason why I avoided this show uh, due to Pesuji is because I saw Pesuji when she first started acting, like 10 years ago or something. She was on this show that uh, that the Home Sisters had written, and I think Kung um, Yu was the star of this show, and that's why I watched it. But basically, it's like I think the show is called Big. And it is a weird-ass show. Like, this is one of Home Sisters, like, terribly written shows, right? And Pesuji was just so awful on that show. Terrible actress. And I was like, I, I, yeah, like, I, I don't think I could deal with her, right? But here's the thing. We cannot judge, uh, you know, a fledgling um, artist, yeah? Like, Pesuji had just begun her acting career at the time, and so, of course, her acting was shit, right? We can't expect somebody who's starting out at something to be amazing. They're gonna be shit. Now that 10 years have passed, and now that Pesuji has done a lot more shows and movies and stuff, and her acting has improved, 
she does this show, Anna, and she fucking blows everybody out of the water. And and Pinsuji, she did win a Best Actress Award last year at the Blue Dragon Awards or whatever. And it was well-deserved because she was phenomenal on this show. Amazing, amazing acting, amazing control, amazing talent, just... She totally radically like fell into that character and there are many layers to this character and she just does all the layers justice. Okay, so the show Anna, first of all, it's a critique of wealth, but at the same time, it is a fetishization of wealth. And I think any and all critique of anything is always going to be both a criticism as well as envy and admiration of that thing. All right, because it's attention going to that thing whether it's negative attention or positive attention it's attention nonetheless and so criticism of wealth is equal to fetishization of wealth and this show is really excellent at capturing the essence of that statement the show reveals the plight of young women right girls like yumi who are taken advantage of by an older man she gets groomed by a teacher and then she's abandoned by this same teacher when he gets caught for being inappropriate with a student, right? He blames everything on her, and then he keeps his job, but then she gets expelled. She gets kicked out of town. And she used to be a brilliant, upstanding student. But after this incident, she just spirals down, okay? And she's abandoned again by her own family. She's sent away to Seoul in shame. Nobody helps her. Nobody checks in on her mental health. Nobody checks in on her emotional well-being. They just leave her scarred and alone to fend for herself with this traumatic incident. And then what happens? Yumi graduates, but she doesn't get accepted to any of the universities in Seoul. But she's ashamed of this, right? So she's like lying to her dad that she did. And she starts, you know living this charade as a college student when she did not get into college. She starts taking college entrance exams year after year. Her father's paying for her tuition, paying for her living expenses. And what does she do with that money? She doesn't go to class, okay? She buys makeup. She does, you know, she does her hair. She hangs out with friends. The lie grows and grows and grows. It gets out of control. And that is the tension that this show builds on the lie the lie that grows out of control this is what gives the show edge and it draws everybody's attention very quickly and the stakes grow higher and higher and that is what gives this show that urgency and it is what captured my attention okay so anna is based on a novel written by chung hana and the show is unique in that it was adapted for the screen by writer director yi ju uh, Yi Chuyang, who is a woman. Yes, this is rare. Most of the time, K-dramas are written and directed by men, yes? I mean, uh, written by women, but directed by, by men. But in this case, it was uh, uh, adapted for the screen and directed by a woman named Yi Chuyang. The show is also unique in that it was not made for broadcast television or cable TV, but for online streaming on Kupang Play. So this is a Kupang Play original. And the show was imbued with controversy as a production because Kupang Play re-edited the show without the director's knowledge or consent or approval and released it as a six-episode series rather than the eight-episode series that Yi Ju Young originally created. And I watched both versions, okay? The first version that I saw was the six-episode version on Amazon Prime. I thought that was the original version. And I was immediately hooked, okay? Then I saw the eight-episode director's cut, which is also available on Amazon Prime in the United States. This was not advertised as clearly to me. 
It was only advertised to me after I watched the six episode version and then Amazon Prime was like, you might also like this. I was like, why didn't you, why didn't you uh, recommend the original eight episode director's cut? All right, so that's the fucked up part. They should always show the director's cut first, not the six episode one. The six episode one is bullshit. It's a lie, right? So I read an interview that Yi Young gave, the writer-director Yi Young. She gave an interview saying that the executives at Kupang Play gave her notes throughout the production and throughout the post-production uh, period. But then at the last minute, they gave her a note saying that they did not like what she produced because she seems to have made this show with quote-unquote intention. In Korean, the word is 의도적. Okay, 의도적. And 의도적 is used in Korean context, like, and it's, it almost sounds as if it's malicious intent. But 의도 does not mean malicious intent. It just means intent. It's just that when people use the phrase 의도적, they use it in that negative sense. Like, oh, you're, you, you have malice or malicious intent here. Okay? So I think the executives started feeling uncomfortable with the show because of the feminist quality that Yi Young was bringing to the show. So the executives were reacting with sensitivity because they are allergic to the feminist tone. Not even the feminist tone, the feminist quality of the show in its entirety, through and through. And Yi Young really brings that feminist woman's touch to the program. And the executives were allergic to that. And they didn't know how to voice it until the last minute. And then they just called her intentional or maliciously intentional, right? Which is utter nonsense, okay? Now, I'm gonna admit something here. The six episode version is a lot more fast paced, it's a lot more thrilling, and it's a lot more gripping. And therefore, it is more entertaining, all right? The music is also better. There's a more polished quality to the six episode version, okay? However, it does feel hackneyed compared to Yi Young's eight-episode director's cut. While the six-episode version of Anna is entertaining, it emulates a lot of the typical psychological thriller tropes and the editing stylizations that we've seen in a lot of Korean films, right? It was like basically trying to be a Pak Chanuk movie, okay? It was basically trying to do like Lady Vengeance Pak Chanuk style. That's what it was trying to do in the six-episode version. But in Yi Young's version, Anna is so much more, like, there's so much more sympathy for Anna and Yumi's uh, back character. There's sympathy for all the characters. They're a lot more well-rounded, and they all have a backstory, and we all know why each character is shaped into who and what they are because of their backstory, okay? And the mise-en-scene in Yi Young's version also offers so much more humanity to Yumi slash Anna's character. And there aren't any plot holes in the eight-episode version. Okay, the six episode version has a bunch of plot holes and questions. I'm like, how, why would they not know that this is her? Like, how could they not know, right? She's in all the newspapers and media. How could they not know? But then in the eight episode version, they explain why. The feminist quality of Yi Jiang's direction is also very visible in the small details that the six episode version cuts out. For instance, like in the mise-en-scene, Yumi goes shopping a lot. She collects a bunch of makeup. This is the, in the eight, eight episode version that I'm talking about. She collects, she collects makeup. She goes shopping. She does her hair. She doesn't go to class. She stops studying. Okay, all of those details were so important to uh, developing Yumi's character. And let me share why. Okay, let me t- let me say why this lands with me. Okay, so when I was in seventh grade, 
I started shoplifting. And I learned how to shoplift from a friend. She learned how to shoplift from her older cousins. So I started shoplifting makeup, candy, ice cream at supermarkets, and I did it because my parents did not give me enough allowance to buy what I wanted, but also because I needed a sense of control in my life. I was super unhappy at my school because I had just moved and I was having trouble adjusting to this all-white school. I was dealing with racism. I was dealing with, you know, separation from my friends and my community. And I was also dealing with adolescent pains. And my parents' growing hatred towards me, which I felt because they saw that I was struggling in school. My grades were dropping. I was just grossly unhappy. I was also dealing with a repressed trauma that resurfaced when I was in seventh grade. And it was so horrific. And I felt so alone at the time that I needed to shoplift to distract myself from these feelings. And looking back now, I have zero shame or guilt about this. I give my younger self all of my love and compassion and support, okay? Even if she's shoplifting, I'm like, I'm on her side. Good for you, okay? That's how I felt about Anna. When she was, what she was doing to her parents, yeah, it's fucked up in a way. Her father was overworked. And he, you know, it's like she lives a life of poverty and he's borrowing money from people to pay for her lie, her exorbitant lifestyle and soul pretending to be a rich person's daughter. I mean, it's a complete and utter lie. And she's totally exploiting her parents. And then her dad ends up dying, right? But I think Yumi's father died as a punishment from the storyteller's perspective. Why? Because he sent Yumi away. Yumi was, she was basically assaulted, all right? She was abused by an older man, but her father did not defend her, his daughter. He simply went with what the school decided. He let his shame cast a shadow on his daughter, and he mishandled everything, all right? He failed to protect his daughter. He failed to defend his daughter, and that's why he dies, but Yumi's mother, on the other hand, she's a very important figure, right? Because Yumi's mother has a disability. She can't, she can't speak. She's mute. And so Yumi becomes, um, I mean, uh, Yumi's mother becomes Yumi's ultimate saving grace later uh, towards the end of the show. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Let's first talk about Yuni, Yumi as Anna, okay? So Yumi works for a rich family as a maid and then steals the daughter's identity the daughter, her name's Hyunju, and she steals her identity and changes her name to Anna. Anna was Hyunju's English name, and so Yumi steals that name and also steals her degrees and adopts Anna as her name and identity. And so Yumi feels now empowered as Anna, and she's very, very good at playing Anna, okay? She doesn't know jack shit about art, and she's a terrible artist, but she just turns on the charm, buys the right clothes, wears the right shoes, wears the right makeup, keeps her hair nice, keeps her shoes nice. And people simply assume that she comes from a well-off family. They assume that she knows what she's talking about and they don't question her. They don't ask anything of her, right? They just assume. And then they give her a job and they expect nice things in return, right? Like when her uh, boss hires her, the professor hires her and she's like, well, I'm rubbing your back so you better scratch mine later, right? And then she eventually gets married to this very insecure entrepreneur who wants to become a politician. She keeps playing the part. The whole thing is a performance. Yes? In Ramdas's book, Be Here Now, he writes that academia is basically rewriting whatever somebody else wrote and declaring it as one's own. And that's such an accurate statement because that is the truth of academia. And Anna knows exactly how to play that game. 
It's a rigged game. She just repeats whatever bullshit she hears other people say, and it works. It gets students into their dream schools. It gets her through all the social events that she needs. And Anna knows that being part of the club requires only one thing, rubbing the egos of rich people. That's it. That's all she needs to do. She knows how insecure rich people are because she worked for them. She knows exactly what they want to hear. She knows exactly how they want to be treated. She understands their fragility. And Anna becomes, you know, she just becomes this thing. She becomes this fake creature in this world. Uh, Anna as Yumi, she comes from a totally different world, right? She was never allowed to be fragile. Since grade school, she was required to be tough, right? Because people were talking shit about the fact that her mother's a mute and the fact that her father is poor. They were talking shit. And so she had to toughen up since she was a child. And she knows that the rich people that she's standing around in, she knows that they don't have it. Yeah. So when the real Anna, aka Hyunju, finds out that Anna is parading around living a lie, uh, Hyunju calls Anna a fraud. Now, is that true? Is Anna slash Yumi, is she a fraud? I think that's very questionable because Yumi changed her name legally to Anna. And Anna parrots whatever she hears to get her through job interviews and lectures. People fully believe her. They take her for what she is because she's pretty and charming and has higher degrees from prestigious universities outside of Korea. And they just assume that she is this thing. That she pretends to be. Anna's entire physical being is a metaphor for what the world of money is. It is a construct and an illusion of power without actually being real power. You understand? The world of money is not real power. It is a construct and an illusion of power. It is not real power. It is frail and it is easily collapsible, just like all the relationships of these rich individuals. We see how fragile these relationships are. They're all conditioned to monetary value and political influence. And that's why, you know, the politicians' uh, wives give Anna all this money, right? The bribery money. They think giving her money will equal her offering favors, and she just collects them. She's like, wow, making money is so easy. I remember getting a taste of this when I was in Korea. I was in Korea um, during my Fulbright year and um, somebody, like, it was like my dad's friend, not even a friend, like an acquaintance. And, like, he put cash in this ginseng box and gave it to me. And I didn't ask for this money. He was just like, I mean, you know, you're a family friend, so this is just a gift. But he expected me to go and work for him. Like, dude, uh, no. <laughs> and when they called me and they were like, oh, so we'd like to bring you in to teach on Tuesday. I was like, um, I'm not doing that. And I remember the woman on the other line being like, she was like, I, I can't believe you just said that. She was just like, wait, you're not, you're not going to come in. I was like, that's right. I never agreed to come in. He, he asked me to, I said no. And he just gave me ginseng. <laughs> and then I found out that there was money in it. But I never agreed to any of this. You see, so like, it's like, this is expected in the sh- in the social sort of realm of these like upper echelons in academia and in education and in politics. It's such a charade. It's such a shallow bullshit fucked up place. Anyway, here's an interesting factor. The common denominator of every single character on this show is that at the core, 
they're all identical to one another. Yeah, every single person on the show, they're all mangled and disconnected individuals detached from their inner souls and therefore detached from their inner humanity. So when Anna finds out that Hyunju also lied by paying somebody off to write her master's thesis, she realizes that the identity she stole is also a lie. So how is Anna a fraud? Right? Like, I mean, she's living her life as Anna more originally and fully than Anna ever has. And there's nothing fake about Anna because the world she lives in is a fake reality. It's an illusory plane where unhealthy egos wage war on one another out of boredom. And Anna feels entitled in the crime that she commits because she was so wronged when she was a teenager. You see, the resentment turned her into a killer eventually. When we fall victim to our victimhood narrative, we claim our own victims. You feel me? The outlier on this show who has some morality is the journalist, Jiwon. And she is actually concerned with truth and justice. And in the eight episode version of the show, we see why. It's because Jiwon was physically assaulted by her teacher when she was in school. So Jiwon grows up to become a whistleblower through and through. She can't pretend to not be one, all right? She is one. She lives her truth as somebody who is determined to seek justice no matter what. And that's why she doesn't take jobs handed over to her via nepotism, okay? Jiwon is also a highly compassionate person. She comes from the shits, and so she understands Yumi's plight when Yumi finally admits that she's a fraud. In the, eight, in the six episode version of Anna, a lot of the characters call Anna empty. But see, this isn't even a bad thing because it's actually to Anna's benefit. The elite people on this show, they, they don't see it. But Anna is actually a mirror of their own emptiness. And that's why they call her empty. You see? So when Yumi visits her dying mother at the hospital, her mother now has dementia, right? Her mom doesn't recognize who her daughter is anymore. This... This uh, part of the narrative points to how far Yumi's gone in her roleplay as Anna. Yumi is totally gone. Her sense of self, her sense of connect, her connectedness to her inner humanity is totally gone. And so her mom can't recognize her anymore. It has nothing to do with dementia. It's like, it's just an allegory of, yeah, Yumi is gone. Anna has taken over. And this becomes a turning point for Anna, right? Slash Yumi. It becomes a turning point for her because her mother was the one person that Yumi felt a human connection with, a real human connection with. But now that she's gone, it's like Yumi's gone. And that's when Anna decides to take action and oust her husband. Throughout the whole show, there are so many men who warn girls and women time and time again not to be fearless. They're like... They're, they're calling them fearless as if it's a bad thing, right? In Korean, that's what they say. They go like, why do you go around doing this? 겁도 없이. 겁도 없이, how dare you, right? They're using this phrase fearlessness in the context of calling that person stupid and brazen. They're like, how dare you be so brazen to not be afraid? And this gets mentioned way more often in Lee Ju Young's eight-episode version of the director's cut. And it's there intentionally because fear is fake. Fear is used to control people. Fear is a fake construct that the world of power created in order to manipulate and control subordinates, okay? And it's not real power. Fear is not real power because there's nothing to fear. 
There is genuinely nothing to fear. No authority figure is somebody to be feared. No quote-unquote power is something to be feared. And Yumi does eventually get punished for her crimes, but it's not because they, it's not out of fear of what any of these other people do. It's not out of fear of being found out. Ultimately, she doesn't care, right? Towards the end, she really doesn't care about being found out. She wants to be found out, but she can't be found out because her husband stops it, yeah? Yumi does get punished for her crimes, though. The punishment is her mother dying without Yumi at her side. That is Yumi's punishment. And then Yumi's second punishment is becoming a fallen woman. And I don't mean fallen woman as in, like, no longer being sexually chaste, okay? That's from, like, early Hollywood films. They would use this word fallen woman to describe women who get killed or punished in the end for having sex with a man. That was, like, the the constant trope back in the 1930s in Hollywood cinema. No, in this instance, I'm using the phrase fallen woman as in she ends up like her husband. She ends up taking somebody else's life. The circumstances that Yumi built herself around by marrying her violent husband, a man she barely knows, she just married him for security and money, that those circumstances end up becoming her prison. And Yumi's lies eat her up. And this man that she marries, he represents the ultimate emptiness. He has zero remorse for anyone. And it's apparent in how he killed his former lover and disowned his son. Yeah, he's like completely emotionally cut off. And he's just detached from other human beings. He is somebody who's incapable of loving. Okay, he only cares about power. So when Hyunju ousts Anna as Yumi, what does he do? He kills her. Yeah, he, it's not to protect Anna, but it's to protect himself, right? And so when Yumi ends up killing this man, she becomes a fallen woman. And that's why she's hysterically crying while walking away. I mean, I don't know. This show is got it's got so much meaning. It's got so much so many layers. I thought it was so brilliantly written. I thought it was amazingly directed. I thought the eight episode version was wonderful. I do wish that it could have been a little bit more polished. Like I think the sound the sound the sound mixing and the uh, music, the musical score, I think it would have benefited the eight episode version like if they took those things from the six episode version and put it in the director's cut it would have definitely uplifted the eight episode version the director's cut so um anyway I- i'm just saying like i i support Idri young's version i support all women writer directors okay if you need to fight for what you need to fight for do it right i mean like Idri young's um uh sega while creating this show is is very um relevant to the themes of the show now that i think about it you know it's all about dissent it's all about being authentic and bold and unapologetic in one's authenticity and boldness and taking agency so i i praise yuji young's work uh, i praise the show and uh i praise peisuji's acting ability oh my god amazing brava wonderfully done 